Well, it is good to be here this, this, uh, this weekend, July 4th. If you know one thing about this weekend, this also was our national treasure, um, big scavenger hunt. And so I was super excited to be able to kick this off with adult groups this year, something different. Shout out to the DELP group for actually finding the treasure yesterday afternoon. Good job. Yeah. It's coming from Andrea. That says a lot. So... And so whenever we talk about what, what exactly is Proverbs, when we look at the first nine chapters, there's all of these sayings of here, my son, and there's these, this, this relationship between being able to hear the words of teaching and being able to sit under that and being able to hear that. So it's this father-son kind of a relationship that you see through this, which will apply in any other context, but basically it's the person that is not as experienced. And I find myself being in the same situation because every day I'm like, I'm that guy that's not that experienced. When you do life, you always think, you know, when you look up to that person that's older, you think, man, they have it all figured out. And now that I'm that age, I realized, I bet they didn't have it figured out either. I bet they're just, it's just walking through life, just trying to figure things out. And so when we look at Proverbs, that's what it is. It's messy. It's got words of wisdom. And I want to just give us some context, too, that as we've been going through um, Proverbs 1, 2, and 3 in the last three weeks, um, you're going you're to start to see this pattern that I think that's really important that we be going ahead and just address. Because as you know, I don't want us to say, I thought we already heard this. And I think a lot of us would understand this. Um, I'm going to just give you just, a, just one thing real quick, is the fact that the teachings in Proverbs really are cyclical and not linear, okay? What do I mean by that? You're like, what, what are you talking about, Kevin? And so the way that they, they spoke and told stories of that day and age was not as definite as we are today. Now, if you have an iPhone or if you have a, like a modern phone, you'll know that Verizon and AT&T, they're the ones that set the time on your phone. And it is one, it's within one one hundredth of a second accurate to the actual real time. So we live in a, a, a society that is built around the idea of everything being very efficient, very precise. In this day and age, whenever you look at you know, the way that we think about life, it was way different when this was written. And so there was not this linear approach, which is like a line where we would go the most direct thing to get our point across, it was like a circle, cyclical, where we would give the idea and then we would come back around to it later. And so you could see that. I'm just going to read this. It says in verse 5, it says, get wisdom, get understanding, and do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom or and she will protect you, love her, and she will watch over you. You know, it's one of those things that when we're looking for this direct route, it's not always the most efficient way. You're going to see that whenever we're in, 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 in chapter four, that it kind of goes in a circle. You're going to say, did I already hear this? Wasn't this already in chapter one? I don't really know what is going on because it seems like this is really inefficient. I want you to see today that, that this story was based on the fact that obviously when this was written, you did not have the scriptures readily available to every single person. They didn't have a copier. And so it was a precious thing to have an actual manuscript of God's word. 
It was a very precious thing to be able to hear the reading of that word. So what, what you would see is that there would be these stories that they would tell based on those. And they would actually start with the main idea and then they might come into a side idea and then eventually come back to the main idea again, cyclical. And so you're gonna see that today. You're gonna see that there is not the most efficient thing, that it is in a lot of ways building upon the notion that we all need wisdom. See, in verse seven, it says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it costs you all that it has, get understanding. Now you would say, well, in chapter one, it said the, the, the beginning of wisdom is what? To fear the Lord. Does this contradict that? That does not. It's a different approach. It's a different subset. It builds upon the original idea. And so it's very important not to say like, I think we've already heard this, Kevin. There is this repetition, and that was very common in this day and age. These nine stories that we're seeing, it's very important to see that there was a point to all of this, that this wisdom is something to be prized, something that we needed to hang on to. The second thing I want you to see today is, is that understanding who it was written to, that it was multi-generational. This was multi-generational teaching. So some of these, these actual words of wisdom, these stories, came down through three different generations. You had David that then taught them to Solomon that then taught them to more than likely Rehoboam, the oldest son. So this passing down of the truth. And what can we gain from this? Well, we can understand that there is an obligation to teach the next generation. We need to invest in those who are young. We don't all have it figured out from generation to generation. We have to be taught. Look what Psalm 78 said. It says, you will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. So we have to tell the next generation. There, there is an idea that we have to be pro kids ministry. We have to be pro-student ministry. Now, at the most basic context, this is happening in the home. The home is the primary place that this should be happening, that we should be passing these stories down, reading God's word together, discipling our own kids. But we, in the same way, in the cyclical kind of way, we have to come alongside and interject the same truth and reemphasize the things that have been taught. It's vital for spiritual formation that we invest in the next generation. I've had a lot of people ask me over the years, how in the world am I supposed to lead my own family? How would I do that? I'm not a theologian. I don't know a whole lot about the Bible. I'm, I'm getting confused here. And let me just give you this, is that it's not necessarily as important that you speak words that are theological in nature. But what you can tell is the story in your own life about what God has done and how he has changed you, and how he has been there through hard times, and that his faithfulness, see, your story has value. So as we invest in the next generation, as we teach the next generation, I want you to know, Proverbs is a good example of the fact that we have to be able in, to be in a place to say that each generation is just figuring it out the same way as the generation before. We don't have it all figured out. We need wisdom, we need truth. And we've got to teach the next generation. I spent the first 20 years in ministry looking at the next generation, trying to invest in them, trying to teach them. 
And I want you to know that there are vital things that have to come from the home, but then we have to reinforce. If it's not being taught in the, in the home, then we've got to do our best to teach that to the best of our ability. Okay, so I got that out of the way. So there is, a, a, there is something really great that happens in chapter four. There is a fork in the road. There is a fork in the road where there is a path that, that somebody has to take, and I want to take you down that path this morning. I want us to look at this path because there is a path of wisdom. That's what chapter four is all about. There is a, a if you really want to link it together, four and five, chapters four and chapters five, they're, they're linked together, okay? And so the, in chapter four, the idea of wisdom, how there's a path of wisdom and how we need to walk down it. We need to not only live our lives in accordance to seeking after wisdom, but we should also realize all the pitfalls and dangers of those things around us. Chapter five then just deals with the path of what they call the wicked. And Nathan gets to teach that next week and God bless him because that is all about sexual immorality and he can have that one, that's great. And so it will be lots of fun to be able to say, this is a journey that we're going on. But this morning, what I want to do is, I wanna teach us, I wanna look at, there are several things that we're gonna see this morning if you see, there is, there is, chapter four really starts out with this pathway and how we are gonna walk down this path and how there is going to be a fork in the road as we go into the path. Just in, like in National Treasure, how you walk down that pathway. If y'all remember, if, for those that know, at a Craighead Forest where we found the treasure. And I don't know if y'all thought the, the clues were too hard or too easy. Um, but I do think they do represent how life is, that it's difficult and there's a lot of context that you don't know and that no one is going to teach you. You have to be able to figure this stuff out. So this pathway that we're walking down, let's just be honest. Why do we need to even, if we're gonna choose this path, obviously we're gonna choose the path of wisdom, but is everything going to be just great from there? Is everything just, okay, I, I choose the path of wisdom. I want to live for God. But the reality is it's much different than that, is that there are all these external forces that are at play. Life happens. I don't know if, if y'all have noticed this, but things are messy. And just in my own personal life, in the last two years, I've seen God at the most amazing mountaintop experiences. And I've seen him in all the ways that he has, has not only ministered to me and just reinforced his goodness, but then I've also seen at the lowest of times when I'm on my face before God saying, God, I need you to get me out of this situation. I need you to come through because I have nothing else. When we're walking down this path of wisdom, you're gonna see that it is life. And it is important because it's one thing just to say we're going to go down this path, but it's another thing when you start putting all the pressures of life and all the, the responsibilities of being able to provide for a family, to be in a family, to, to be able to not only be perfect in every way that our culture wants you to be, it is a difficult place to be and a difficult place to walk. There's something interesting that happens in four, and I'm just gonna kind of summarize the first very first part of the section here is that what you see is you see these two paths and then they compare and contrast the two. And what wickedness is and what, what wisdom is. And then there is this turn 
And that's the part we're going to look at this morning, this fork in the road, starting in verse 20. And that's where I want us to just be able to walk along this pathway. Verse 20, it says, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ears to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life. And those who find them and health to one's whole body. So you find life. And it doesn't just affect one aspect of your life. This morning, we're going to walk down this pathway and we're going to see four little stops along the way, just so y'all know where we're going for those people that, that just need that. The first thing that we're going to see is we're going to see that we, there's a call to a steadfast devotion towards wisdom and to, towards God that then ultimately then will lead us to an unwavering integrity, a life of integrity. And then that, that will redirect us to see our one perfect model. And then lastly, that is going to ultimately point us to our longing hope. Our hope that is not here, that's a place called heaven. And so this morning as we look, I think that you're gonna see that some of this may sound like, yes, we've already heard this, but I wanna put it all in context because now what Solomon is doing is we're going through this proverb, you're gonna see that there is a path that we have to walk down. It's not just one thing to say something, it's another thing to be able to have to walk down that and live that out on a daily basis. You didn't come to Christ one day, but you came to Christ daily. You surrendered your life to Christ, but then there is this daily walk that has to take place that we're gonna see. As you see in verse 22, it's all about the whole body. It is a holistic thing. It's not one of those things that we can compartmentalize. And if so, some of y'all know, a lot of us like to be organized and we like to have our own little container for every different thing in our lives. That's not the way that we should view our walk with Christ, but it's also not the way that we should view God. In the same way that we have our work, whether we have our relationships, and then we have our, well, our church work, church life. It's one of those things where in, in, in middle school, if you remember junior high, if you remember the little sections on the plate, how it kept everything nicely separated. If we compartmentalize our faith, you're gonna see that this is going to fall short. It has to be a holistic thing that we are able to have this steadfast integrity or devotion. And it's gotta be something that we have that's all of our lives. Verse 21 says this, it says, keep within your heart. There is a call to not only have within the most innermost part of your being. In the original language, that literally just means keep them in the middle of your heart. Keep it in the center. So it isn't, last week Nathan talked about exactly what that heart is and he gave a great explanation of that. But it, it is not just physically your heart, right? When we talk about the heart, it is the center of your being. It's your emotions, it's your mind, it's your will, your conscience. Verse two says, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. The idea of precepts, the fact that there is a call to this devotion. There is a call to not only loving God, but making it at the very most 
central core of who you are. Verse 22, for they are life and those who find them and health to one's whole body, back to the idea that we do not just have a faith on Sunday. And so that's this interesting idea, but the reality is, is that there is so many people, and I find myself in this, is that whenever I leave this place on Sunday, it's almost like that is now not what I'm focused on. I just wanna reintroduce the idea that this, this devotion is at the center of one's being. It's everything. It's with you throughout the day. Knowing who God is, walking in that, walking in the truth of his words, it's not just something that we do on Sundays, possibly Wednesdays in group. It's our life. That is the beginning point. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that then that devotion will lead us to an unwavering integrity. An unwavering integrity. One of my great theologian friends, Chris Wilson, says it like this. He says, our actions matter. He said that years ago. And what he meant by that was like, hey, when we live this thing out, as we're already obviously, you know, born again for Christians, or maybe you're trying to figure out who God is, you would say that your actions, maybe do they really matter if the blood covers all? And, and, and Paul deals with that in Romans when he talks about obviously struggling through what all that means, but your actions do matter. Your integrity matters. So to have an unwavering integrity, it's something that we don't see. Let's look in verse 23, it kind of expounds upon this idea. It says, above all else, guard your heart and everything you do flows from it. So, so we got the heart, that's the beginning point. And then you're gonna see that it comes out in every facet of your body. Keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the path of your feet and steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the left or your right. Keep your foot from evil. The idea that the, the heart stores all the information and everything flows in and out of it, but really it's all, it's the mouth, the eyes, and the feet really that, that do all the action here. So they're the things that will make us and break us. Now the verse 23, it says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. What you put in will come out. And he said for years in student ministry, show me your friends and I'll show you, you. In other words, those things do matter. The life that we live, the people we surround ourselves with, they matter. Now I'm a product of the 90s, okay? And, and so I think that we, it's the last generation that, well, let me just say this, first off. I mean, you, not only did you have the greatness of dial-up internet, right? You had, I would say some of the best music I think that even our generation today, they look back to that. It's the last generation, the last decade that had gas for under a dollar. I mean, come on, think about that now. These were good times, people. It was great. But there was one thing that, that I grew up in, in youth group culture, and I had my own struggles throughout high school, and, but, but there was this whole move to what now we look back on as the purity culture. Some of y'all just cringed. 
And the idea of true love waits. And the idea is, is that as image bearers of Jesus, we have an obligation to have, to have not only respect for our own bodies, right? But also the fact that there should, be, there should be purity in our own lives. And while that was a really good idea, it fell really short and it hurt a lot of people. It hurt a lot of people because it put a lot of priority on the females of that to be able to do all the work. But how easy would it be to take that same idea because there's something that's lost in there that is still needed. Integrity is needed in the area of our relationships. If you would just move the one idea that we should have integrity in all areas of our lives, including our relationships with the opposite sex, in the matters of sex, that's all you have to say. That oh, equally, men and women have a responsibility to integrity. That's all you have to say. That we all have a devotion to live that out. And in that, well, there's responsibility that takes place. How different would that be? Because whenever we say, oh, the purity culture, I want you to know that God did a lot of things in my own life through that. There was a higher calling to live up to. And in the same way today, the thing is, when we threw that out, we, we took away the idea that there's ever any kind of standard, there's any kind of thing that we need to strive for. This morning, I want you to know that if we have integrity in every area of our lives, it spills over into everything. The way we do with business, the way we deal with our jobs, our schooling, if we cheat, the way we date. God is calling us down this path of godliness, this path of wisdom, to live that out. Something very practical. That's what I love about Proverbs. So we, we need to be careful of the things and the integrity that we have. There should be checkpoints along the way. There should be things that we should evaluate in our lives. How am I doing here? How are we going to do? How am I doing there? Because I think that some of us live the Christian life, and it gets to a point where it just becomes a job. It's just like it's just a check mark. Ezekiel. We're going to look in Ezekiel forty-seven. I just want to set this passage up to you because it is super strange. So Ezekiel is actually has this vision of something that's going to happen in the future, and. I took all these Old Testament classes back in the day and I remember we got to this. I thought this was really interesting because it gives you perspective that then is reinforced by Jesus. I want to look at that this morning. So this, this vision of this river that flows out of the temple. And as you know, this was a time, this was written in a time when people weren't at the temple. People had turned their, their lives against God and then Ezekiel has this, he has this vision. Look in verse six, it says, he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, the water flows towards the eastern region and goes down to Arab, which it enters into the Dead Sea. When it empties into the Dead Sea, the salt water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows and there will be a large number of fish because when the water flows there, it makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. The idea that God, down this pathway, down this river that flows from God makes 
dead things come alive. I've been in the Dead Sea. It's, it's super weird. You float, there's nothing living. The fact that God has had the same exact idea that he is going to make new things, that he's going to bring fruit in a barren land. So the question is this morning is that do we position ourselves to where we're actually in that river? Metaphorically speaking, like now we were on a path now, I just want just for a second to say, are we positioning our lives where we're standing in that river so that we can be affected and be in tune with all of the things that come from the temple? Jesus, in John 7, reinforces this idea. He says this in chapter 7, he says, on the last and great day of the festival, Jesus stood up in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Same idea. So whoever lives in Jesus, there's newness, there's life, there's vitality. The things that you would never expect that person to do or that person to see, you're gonna see that because they all have one source that's bringing life. It isn't just a dead cesspool. It is a life. It's a river that's flowing somewhere. And everyone was trying to get to that. It's almost like Christ is saying that there's a new set of God-giving emotions and feelings that God puts on us. We don't have anger anymore. We don't have fear anymore. It's almost like when we position ourselves in that place, God comes then and makes us new. Galatians 5 gives the same idea when Paul talks. Look what he says. He says, so I say, verse 16, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that they that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The idea is, this isn't something that we have to do one time. Let me just go get in the river and I'm done. This is a continual thing where we have to find the renewing, renewing part of God every day. And if you live in my house, you know that there's days that I've killed that. And then there's other days that I'm nowhere on the map. The process of sanctification is what that, that, that theological term is, where we become more like God. We know we're never going to achieve it, but we, we have this trajectory where we are headed towards where God is. I want you to know this morning that that process is messy and it is a daily thing. Look what he says in verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. It came from God. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have been crucified, the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. 
Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. It's just like the spirit in chapter one of Proverbs. We, we heard that those that turn to wisdom, he says that he will pour out his spirit. Same idea that the Holy Spirit is a part of this in a daily thing. So whenever we come to God, the Spirit brings out all this newness. And all of a sudden, in your own life, there is love, there's joy, there is peace, there's patience, there's goodness, there's faith. And there's a thing on the internet that if you've ever been a part of any thread, it seems like no one ever has any of self-control. All of a sudden, God has put those things and positioned you in a place. To somebody that is being transformed, somebody that is becoming new down this path of wisdom. The third thing is I did this morning is I want us to see that it redirects us to our one perfect model. So this one perfect model, what do I mean by that? When you see that Solomon was the smartest guy and the richest guy that we know in context ever, we could see that that's not the person that we need to live our lives after. As we see in 1 Kings chapter 11, at the end of Solomon's life, it all fell apart. So the guy that wrote all this wisdom, shocker, that he's all over the map. He lived it out, but then there's other times he completely failed. And this guy somehow was used by God. First Kings chapter 11, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord as God as the heart of David, his father had been. So you see what had happened was is that Solomon started Marrying, and we can, we can talk about the idea of what that looked like in the Old Testament. Obviously, that wasn't God's design, but it was one thing that God, I've, I believe, it overlooked. And the idea of, of the fact that the Solomon had multiple wives, but he started marrying women of other nations and sacrificing to them, to their gods. Look in verse nine, it says, the Lord became angry Solomon, with Solomon because his heart had turned away from God, the Lord of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I've commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away and give it to one of your subordinates. Wow. So it cost him his position. So this is not the person that we focus on. And so if we are, if we are putting anyone as the model besides Jesus, you're going to be disappointed. If you put your faith in somebody that stands on a stage like this, you're going to be disappointed. And that doesn't mean there doesn't need to be integrity up here or doesn't need to be anything like that. But if you put your hope in that person every single time, it'll come up short. Solomon was a broken man. 
and he really compromised on things that cost him dearly. Our focus and our hope is in the one prototype, the one person, and that is Jesus. Fourth thing is, the fourth thing along this pathway, and this one is just looking off in the distance, that it points to our longing hope. And when we, when we talk about this, what do I mean by that? Is that this same passage that we see in Ezekiel, we're gonna see that that passage then shows up in the book of Revelation. Look what it says. It says, then an angel showed me the river of life, the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great city, a street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the trees are the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse, and the throne of God, the Lamb, will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. So there's a day, not now, there's a day that we look off in the far distant future, whenever that is, we don't know. The things are going to be put back like they're supposed to be. Just as the Bible started in the garden, if you look at the end of the the uh, end of Revelation, the end, 21, 22, you see that? There is a picture of what? Garden. Things go back to the way that they're supposed to. So God restores and redeems all things because of his son, Jesus, who is faithful. All of the hurt, all of the mistrust, all the things that we find lacking in this world are put right. For God is going to bring something new in a place called heaven. And you see the hope and the, and the trust that we have in knowing that one day that is going to happen. That God will make it right. And in this little in-between time that we have now, there's heartache, there's failure, and as we walk down that path, there's hope to get through this life, to navigate through this life. Here's some thoughts for us this morning. As we, as we wrap up this morning. First thing I'm gonna ask is, is have we ultimately chosen your path? Have you, have you ultimately chosen your path? And what do I mean by that? Is that to be able to, to walk down this path first in salvation. In other words, you have to come to a place when you admit that you're broken and that you're apart from God. You can't get to God. No matter what you do, you can't achieve it. You can't, you can't work your way there. But luckily, there was a God that came to us. Luckily, there was a God that filled in the gaps on our behalf. That's the God I know. My question is, do you know that God? There's a point that we have to come to of surrender. And for many of us, we've already chosen that. You don't, you're not born a Christian. You're not born going to church. That doesn't make you in Christ. You're in Christ when you come to that realization in your own life. So my question is, have you done that? The second thing is this. 
If you have chosen the path of wisdom, have you positioned yourself to remain on the path and keep, as Galatians says, in step with the Spirit? Have you realized that it's not about saying a prayer at FCA in the eighth grade or whatever, wherever your story is, if for some of us, it is a continual renewing of the mind that takes place when we walk with God, that we have to keep in step with the Spirit. So there has to be a daily surrender to our own lives. There's days that we kill it and there's days that we come short. But what we do is we submit ourselves to God and say, God, today make my life whole. Today give me the thoughts. Today give me what I need. That is the pathway to seeing God work in your own life. Third thing is, are there any are there any practical distractions that you need to do, deal with that need to be dealt with? In other words, if we walk down this pathway when we talk about not looking to the left and to the right are there any distractions that you need to deal with so I believe that, and this is the process of sanctification, this is the process of becoming more like Jesus, is that you continually have to say, you know what, that isn't beneficial for my life, so therefore I'm just gonna go ahead and just set that to the side. Interesting enough, I read this really interesting article about how the idea of Instagram and Facebook and how now you have these reels that, that your brain does the same thing as an addict when you just scroll through and it's some little just impulse of something that's new and fresh. You get the same hit as an addict does. And so like there's things in our lives that may be a distraction and God is gonna have to reveal those to you. I can't do that. For God has written his law on your heart. That's what the Holy Spirit says he is. He's literally the thing that writes it on your heart. This morning, I'm gonna ask that as he writes it on your heart, would you, would you be bold enough to say, you know what, these distractions, maybe I need to do something with that. God will reveal that. And the last thing is what relationships are helping in this path and what relationships are hurting. In the same way, in a loving way, positioning ourselves in that river, in that flow, we have to find ourselves at a place. I did the same thing. Junior year in high school, I had to leave all my friends because you know what? They were not helping me. And what was even stranger is those were all my church friends. And so God is going to have to reveal and put that on your heart this morning as we're faithful, as we're obedient to what God is doing here. Let us know that this is a place that we have to do an audit on our own lives every day as we keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. God, this morning I pray that we would look inward as we walk this path you've given us. God, I pray that we would 
we would seek the things of you. God, I pray in this river of life, God, that you would restore the things that are dead. You would make dead things come alive. And God, ultimately, I pray that you would be glorified in this place, in this church. God, this is your church. God, we just want to be faithful people to learn to walk with you. So this morning, I pray that we would look inward and we would do an audit on our own lives. What things need to change, what things need to, what relationships need to end and what relationships need to start. God, in this place, I pray that we would. God, in the most solemn moment, God, that we would just be honest with you. We'd be able to talk and we would be able to learn in words of wisdom. We'd be able to grow in that. God, I thank you for your word and I thank you, God, that it stands. I thank you that you are the perfect example that we can walk. God, I pray that we can, we can look to you, Jesus, as the perfect model and no one else, no person. For God, you're holy. God, I do thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this, this church and ask God you would raise it up to be more like you. It's in your name we pray.